Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Danny. Hello, hello, hello. How you doing? Oh, you know, thrilled. Well, it's just a we got cornucopia of basketball experiences now, Tara. What can I say? That's exciting. We got some. We got stuff to talk about. <laughs> it, it, sure, it, there are things to talk about. I don't, I don't know how excited I am about them, but sure, they're they're, they're out there. Oh, come on now. You're you, you think that I I believe that you would rather have something to talk about than to just like looking, you know, just strictly talking about the games. Because we got a lot more weeks of just watching the play to have a trade to discuss, players coming in, players going out. We've got all kinds of awesome questions from listeners. It's going to be great. This is this is true. Um, it's it's nice to move on from the uh, idea of like trying to say eighteen different ways this team is not very good right now. So, do you <laughs> feel? Yes. Do you? <laughs> I'm trying to think, do I, is it too early in the conversation to just ask, like, do you feel like what the Blazers just did in trading uh, Anthony Tolliver and Kent Bazemore to Sacramento for Trevor Ariza, uh, Wenyans, uh, Gabe, uh, Gabriel, and Caleb Swanigan, do you think that makes it any clearer what the Blazers are going to make out of this year? Total picture, no. And this is kind of what I said on Twitter. I don't. Not thrilled with the move uh, because of maybe foreshadowing what it means possibly for expiring contracts. Um, but I'm also kind of reserving my overall um, anger, angst, rage, uh, frustration, whatever you want to call it, until after the deadline. Uh, and then, it, you know, between now and then, the next, what, three weeks, um, certainly some things could happen that would change the outlook of this deal and that this deal just looks like, you know, a speck in the, in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, the same thing happened. I thought the same thing that I think every time something like this happens, which is it has got to be so hard to have one of these jobs of being the GM. Do you think it's hard or what do you think? I mean, because everybody instantly has all kinds of opinions on on the move that they did. We don't know what the choices were. Um, I mean, it's got to be so hard. Like, no one's ever happy, right? <laughs> no. I mean, I guess unless you're the Lakers and first you were really mad and now you're happy. But, you know, like, it just seems impossible to to make a move that makes everybody happy. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly not easy um, but I think the GM nine other people who have their be- well, team's best interests in mind. The thing is, is there's there are GMs around the league that don't deal with twenty nine other people. They deal with seven or eight. You know, mm-hmm. um, I guess is Portland kind of like that because it seems like yeah, it's always Sacramento yeah, you, or Cleveland you, or Orlando or Denver or Denver. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I think that's very true around the league where you have like anywhere you have friends. Mm-hmm. And there are people you prefer – like how many people do we hear actively like dealing with Danny Ainge? Because the way that they almost get every single player that's ever been traded since he's become GM, he's become, become kind of a shtick. They they wage their war in the newspapers, mm-hmm. on online. Like that's what they do. We the most recent you know example of this isn't the, the Celtics, it's the Lakers and Sacramento Kings. This whole back and forth where a reporter comes out and says that 
the Lakers will consider trading Kyle Kuzma for Bogdanovich, but Bogdanovich is just at the starting price. It's going to take more than that to come from, you know, to get Kyle Kuzma, where in reality, the rest of the NBA world's reacting with, you think you're getting Bogdanovich for just Kuzma? You were higher than a kite. But that's a source within the organization leaking information that the Lakers are possibly interested in moving Kyle Kuzma and a player of the type that they would like would be a Bogdanovich type. That's that's what's going on. It's like they're they're waging that mm-hmm. that war, so to speak, publicly. Because for some of these GMs, it matters to win in the public. There are some GMs you don't hear a damn word from. Neil's one of those guys. Very different than a Daryl Morey, a Danny Ainge, um, Rob Palenka. But then on the flip side, San Antonio. If I had R.C. Buford in a lineup, could you pick him out? Nope. No idea what he looks like. Sam Presti? Like, there's so many GMs. John Hammond in Orlando. Like, you would not be able to find these guys if you if you, if you you didn't know they were there. So it, it depends on how these guys build their relationships, how they exist within their markets, what their goals are, what they're, what they're trying to accomplish. And I don't... With Portland, it's always hard to get a read on these things because they because of how Portland goes about things. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. Right. So if they're not gonna if they're not gonna let it play out in the media and everyone is shocked and surprised, everyone's gonna be running around afterwards just trying to figure out what happened, rather than right. having all of the debate in the open like is happening right now in Los Angeles. Everybody's having the debate out in the open because they know what um, they know what the Lakers are after. Yeah, and with with Portland, like uh, I'll put it this way: I, I don't have a ton of sources in the league, but I have enough to where I get a general feel of things, right? And you and I talk about stuff off air, and the the whole idea of like we've been talking about Sacramento for the last couple of weeks, and that's because I had heard that they were talking, and then they went out, and um, all of a sudden things got in, in, incredibly quiet, and that's when you know like Portland's working, right? When you don't hear a damn thing about Portland in any way, shape, matter, or form around the deadline, that's when you know things are going because basically the way the Blazers have acted for years is if it gets out, there's there's no deal. And that's like – I think a telling part of that is that tweet last night or yesterday afternoon um, from Shams. Mm -hmm. What what, what did the tweet have? It had the Blazers are trading forward guard, whatever it was, Kent Bazemore. But it didn't have Tolliver, didn't have the second round picks, it didn't have Sacramento. So where do you think that part of it came from? You mean the rest of it? No, no, no. Where do you think that information oh, came from? Just that part of it? Yeah. It's from it's from Bazemore's camp. Okay. Like that like that's the only way that Shams had that that part. And then Woj, he has the entire deal, what, a minute and a half later? Mm. And that's because who? Where does that information come from? Because he's getting it from the teams. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there's there's differences in like how these things kind of go out and how they evolve and who's told what and how that information is used. Right. So there's just a lot of things that go into these things. But um, I just <laughs> I just think it's all fascinating because the Blazers never do what we think that they're going to do. They always and no. they might. And I had like a, one all. out of ten things like. Like the fact that it's Sacramento is not surprising, but uh, and we, like, all, we even I, knew that Bazemore was yeah. likely to be traded. Yeah. 
But the the rest of the package was like, what? I don't know. Oh, uh, like a little peek behind the curtain. Like I knew they're talking to Sacramento, but I'm sitting here thinking it's got to be Deadman, maybe Bogdanovich, and they're trying to get in on that sweepstake, and they're going to dangle a first, give some salary cap relief so they can – get one of the like they could if they if they got Barnes somehow then it would you know allow them to get the extra money to give to Bogdanovich like those are the things that I'm kicking around in my head I'm like okay cool 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 and then the poo-poo platter that we got and I was like oh crap well um if that's how you're gonna uh, oh did, did, did I not bury the lead there my bad <laughs> that's how you're gonna say okay let's talk for <laughs> just one sec before we go and we we got a ton of really great questions from listeners so we got to be focused and disciplined and I know I say that and I know we never are um but if we're gonna get through all of them um we got to wrap up this preliminary discussion real quick to jump right into them. One thing that I just want to say before we move on is that I am so glad we had the Anthony Tolliver game before he left Portland. He raised his trade value. What? what? He raised his trade value. I was at that game. That was so much fun. And when I went back at it and I looked at the, uh, at the box score, like right at the beginning of the fourth quarter, I started jumping up in my seat. And every time he got the ball, I started yelling, give it to Tolliver, give it to Tolliver. And it wasn't until I went back and looked at the box score that I realized that he hadn't even scored in the game until the fourth quarter. So for some reason, I just felt like it was coming. Um, he was just doing so many other things for the other three quarters in that game that like I didn't even notice that like he hadn't even been shooting. So mm-hmm. I was just I was just sure that whatever Anthony Tolliver touched that night was turning to gold. And I was so glad that I got to be there. I'm going to miss him. Like, he's been pretty heavily maligned. Which um, is just so weird to me, by the way. Yeah, well, I'm... Hey, the 14th guy on the roster hasn't been absolutely fantastic at work. <laughs> yeah, like, he's a, he's, a, he's a stretch three playing the four being moved to the five. How dare he not fill that role perfectly, <laughs> capably, and acceptably in a manner that we expect him to. It was such a weird thing. Yeah, like, but never, it was pervasive. It was. Like, I saw some people like, thank God that they got Tolliver out of Portland. And I'm just like... You monsters. What are you doing? I mean, even your co-host said that I think he said to, that he was a disappointment or that Bays and Tolliver. Were... No, Baysmore was Joe. Joe and I were both, both in agreement that Baysmore has been a, a pretty significant disappointment. Tolliver was a guy you were hoping to get like 10 minutes a night out of. Mm-hmm. Like. That yeah. was the only that we were talking about when it came to Tolliver was like he, the position he was put in versus what he was actually asked to do were two of the starkest differences in, in like expectations that I've ever seen. Well, and not only that, but, but even, even when he did recognize his limitations, he was able to like figure out how to limit them as much as possible. And that's what you get when you get a vet, right? When you get a pros pro. Yes. Yeah, you get somebody who was like, okay, I'm not going to make this. So I'm going to try to set a chart. I'm going to, you know, take a charge, uh, you know, and that's a hard thing to do. And he, you know, it's not Especially like he that got age. that many, but he was leading the team. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know what? Honestly, I thought the guy kind of got screwed over a few different times on, on some charge like he calls. He gotten more calls. Yeah. 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 Like I, I thought he was there and I think he got the anti-star call a couple times. Like, mm-hmm. come on, man. What is this trash? Yeah. But no, like I, I like AT and the, I think the comments that Dame had post game uh, the other night against OKC were, were really poignant talking about just not the basketball side of things, but like the, the human side of things and, uh, as it pertained to the Bayswarn AT and how 
both of those guys had kind of helped him kind of refocus mm-hmm. as, as a person, how Bazemore just being a good dude and, you know, uh, um, being a brother for him really kind of helped him and how AT for, for those that don't know, like just helped Dame kind of rediscover his faith mm-hmm. and whether or not you agree with it or not, or believe it or not, that meant something to Dame. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing in any way, shape, matter or form to have guys who have the same common bonds and beliefs and build upon those things because these guys spend more time with their teammates than they do with their families at times during the season. So um, I think all in all, it's going to go down as a, a failed experiment, but it's going to be a, um, but in the context of the whole year. Yes, but not a negative experience on the, on the, the person side. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Like I think it's clear that as as people Anthony Tolliver and Baysmore, they were happy to be here. People liked them as people. They were good people. And like you said, they were um, you know, more than just obviously more than just um the players they were on the floor. And that's one of the things that that's so great about Damien is like, you know, he's a leader and he obviously helps get the best out of other people but one of the things i think makes him so effective is that other pe- like is that other people also make him better and he's willing to let that happen like look at the step that his leadership took when Yusuf Nurkic came to town and he had to take him under his wing and really really work to help him fit in and understand you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but it wasn't just like you know damian having to step up and like oh i got to do this job now it was like he welcomed that because it also made him a better person Mm-hmm. That's just he's just so he's just so amazing. This is another Damien Lillard appreciation um, <laughs> episode, I guess. Yeah, I mean when you when along you with Oliver and Basemore, you watch some of these other guys who are in the league and how they've handled uh, issues and problems and and things uh, that have gone sideways with their particular teams this year, and then you see how Dame just continues to be like, "Yep, yeah, no, we're good. We'll figure it out." <laughs> just keeps riding that just just rolling along with that ship as much as I hate it at times. It's, it's, it's the right thing. Right. Like, yeah. So I'm disappointed that, uh, Bazemore never got a chance to like have that game. You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like if he'd had like one breakout performance, uh, then people, I mean, I don't think people are like slamming on Bazemore, but I do think that if he'd had that one breakout performance, he would have felt like, he'd had a bigger impact. I I guess that's kind of what it is. I feel like he never really had a chance to have a big impact here, which maybe he could have had given a longer stint, but it just wasn't, it just hadn't really worked itself out at this point. I mean, at least the, the Dallas game, he got to have a good game. Mm -hmm. I I thought it was probably one of his, his, uh, I'm sorry. wasn't the Dallas game is the Houston game. Okay. Because he, he locked up Harden. Yeah. Just, Picked him up 94 feet and said, good luck getting the ball, dude. Uh-huh. Uh, the Blazers obviously threw a, a little bit of a junk defense at him with a box and one um, or diamond one or whatever you want to call it. Um, Wait, what's the difference between a box and one and diamond one? Uh, coverage more, uh, more towards the corners with the box and one more towards the, the center of the paint um, oh. and the short wings uh, and the diamond one. Um, the- basically... The- <laughs> Just real quick, we'll, we'll touch, touch on the, the Houston game. The whole uh, Russell Westbrook thing of, like, you can't guard me and all this, <laughs> the hilarious part about that entire game plan 
is that it was predicated on like l- exactly that on nobody like, guarding let, him. <laughs> ru- yeah, let Rush shoot. Let him go one on one. Don't help him. Let his ego and his mind trip take over, and let him just lock in and entirely, and keep the ball out of Harden's hands and watch him lose. And it's it's, it's funny. He just. He played right into that trap. It, it was it's so fantastic how he was so animated, so into it, so about this individual battle, and it's like, and you still lost. <laughs> it was just super. Would did you this week? And maybe it was because they won. I don't know. It it had been a while since they'd had two in a row, mm-hmm. but when both in both of those games, even before they were over, there were times where I was like. Oh, they're starting to. They're starting. Some things feel like they're starting to fall into place. Yeah, no, they, they played their best version week? of basketball. Hundred percent. They played their best version of basketball. The um, fourth quarter, or the I would say the first and fourth quarters of the Hornets game. I'd say the, almost the entirety of the Rockets game. Uh, I would say they were looking to be very sharp against Dallas until CJ rolled his ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, t- for which I'm sorry. I did not mean to tweet that out. I'm sorry. Yeah, stop. <laughs> it was 30 seconds after I said yeah. it. You're no longer able. You, you need, yeah. you now need to like have somebody tweet for you. And then, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's just good advice in general. You can be like, say something like this and then they can say it and they can show it to you and then you can like push send, but you need to like have a team now. Yeah. That's so that that you're not doing anything more like that, but yeah, I mean, so you've saw it too. So how would you articulate what this team? Well, I guess, do we even bother anymore now that we don't have Baysmore and Tolliver? No, I, I don't think I this thought was it was like Gary and Naz and Anthony a little bit. Yeah, to an extent. Yes. And even but Whiteside. And Whiteside was, I think a big part of it. I, you and I were texting back and forth on a couple of the games and, uh, the idea of Whiteside playing his, um, his best brand of basketball, not necessarily counting stats, but like making the right plays. He had a few little errors and the Houston game, the one that stands out obviously was the one where CJ shaded Harden to the left side and funneled Harden right to the rim. And Whiteside never came for those that don't know. Stotts called a timeout and Stotts lit into Hassan and the rest of the guys, because there was a couple other letdowns, but uh, for everybody calling for terror for, for old tear bear to get angry, he did. Mm-hmm. He, he basically said, that's the best effing player in the world. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in other words, let him just go. Yeah. We don't let James Harden walk to the rim, <laughs> leave Clint Capella and go get your ass over there and help. Like that's, that was, but I, I like to see that because I, I think that maybe it, it did. It kind of sparked the beginning and we saw a bit more aggression. And I think, uh, Hassan has been much better as far as like not chasing some things. If you read the athletic piece, uh, Seth Partnow and the Sam Asini and a couple other guys, they were talking back and forth about assets in Portland and Hassan. And one of the things that came up is that Hassan always jumps. Mm-hmm. Always, 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 always. And if you're a smart point guard or a point forward or ball handler, you, you know, you wait for him to jump and wait for him to fully commit. And it's pretty often or pretty easy to recognize when he's going to fully commit. And then you throw that lob. And I thought it was really weird that Houston only ran that lob to Capella like four times in the final quarter. Like they didn't do it almost the entire game. And then the fourth quarter, when, when they started to like make some hay, it's because they started running that pick and roll. And I was like, what, why didn't you do this for three quarters? What are you, what are you idiots? <laughs> I mean, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in that Charlotte game, uh, especially in that 
first quarter, we mm-hmm. kept looking up and Hassan was outside the paint handling the ball like running the offense and I was like what is going on here like they put the ball in his hand quite a bit at the beginning of that game and throughout the week he actually like had like some of those bounce passes and a little bit Mm -hmm. more playmaking than I've than I've seen and I have to say none of them looked but they all looked pretty shaky but a lot of them panned out yeah, there was the one where he had Mello in the post, I believe, and it got sealed off and he threw the pass anyways. And everybody just kind of looked at him like, dude, come. just because the play calls for the post up here doesn't mean you have to throw the pass no matter what. The flip side of that is he's thrown a couple bounce passes. He's found a couple guys. And I think they're just trying to put him. In, I think a lot of it is they're trying to put Hassan necessarily in a, in, a, in a position to succeed all the time. But Carmelo Anthony. And I've had my issues with Carmelo. If you've listened to the pod, you know that. (laughs) But I will give Carmelo credit where it's due in the fact that over the last couple games, for the most part, when he's gotten these mid-post isolations or straight post-up opportunities, he's gone quick and he's been effective. Mm -hmm. He's drawn to, he's gone to that base step, baseline drop step spin move. Uh, He's gotten a guy off balance or put his body into guys and and really worked them down to the rim. Um, uh, he posted up somebody against OKC who I think was giving up like uh, probably 75 pounds <laughs> and he just backed him down. I'm like, there Shea, you go. He's not very big. <laughs> I think it might have been Shea. I, I, I legitimately and, and listen, Shea's a strong, wiry dude, but he's still a kid. And he doesn't have that grown man strength. Mellow Mellow's a whole nother weight class, mm-hmm. uh, but he got away for the most part from pounding the air out of the ball or jab stepping like crazy. And they were quick, authoritative, good decisions. And even when he wasn't finishing against Dallas, when they were hunting those mismatches, he was getting to the free throw line, like a madman. They were just fouling the living hell up. They had no match for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the kind of mellow, like, uh, if you've watched the, the, the post game show with Joe and I, the one thing I always talk about when a Blazers win or loss, like when you look at the box score, look at the shot attempts. Mm-hmm. If it's Dame CJ one and two, there's probably going to be a good game. If you see it, Carmelo Hassan, things probably got really damn stagnant. Mm-hmm. And when Melo slides into that three spot, and that's not to say he can't have the most on a night where he's just cooking and the other guys are right there with him. Um, but I think that's a good indicator for where they are. If the, if the normal drinksters, so to speak, Dame and CJ are really going, and then you have Dame or uh, uh, Mellow slot in at that third spot, like that's that's when they're going to be effective offensively. Is when he's being quick, he's being decisive, he's making the pass when it needs to be there, and the ball isn't stopping all the time. I do not have an issue with Dame, CJ, Mellow, or Simons. Trying to go isolation from time to time. They're all very talented isolation players. They all have good handles. They can all create their own shots. For Melo, that isolation more often than not turns into a post-up, which, like, if you look at Melo's post-up numbers, they're pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, that's money. When he, when he gets a post-up going, like, he's going to have to dribble it several times in order to get himself into the position that he wants to be in. But more often than not, these days anyway, that shot's been going in. and it's Especially on the yeah, everyone's it, like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about the post up." <laughs> like, yeah, because this? Nobody, oh yeah, this is an old school dude. <laughs> and guys, and if you've listened to me at all over the years, the one thing I always say, it doesn't matter where the shot is from if that shot is your shot. Mm-hmm. 
like LaMarcus and CJ and Kevin Durant cooking your ass from the mid range. Guess what? They're really good at that. I don't care what the analytics say for the league. Those dudes can get that shot. If you look at like, it's, there's this whole argument. I wish Mello would just take one step back. Are you talking about those long twos going? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I don't like the the long two jump step. shot when he works the deep post and then gives all that position back for like the, the the drop step fade away. I I don't I don't like that. If he's going to work the post, work to, to get towards the rim, like get an action that gets you rolling or or moving towards the rim and, and that kind of situation. The catch and shoot stuff, I have zero problem with that. He's shooting like 42, 44% last time I checked. I can't remember what it was um, on catch and shoot threes. Like he's, he's been fantastic in that regard. Yeah, it's the catch and shoot twos. It's like just take – Yeah, those back. are a little yeah, – Okay, we got we got to move on to all these questions because we seriously yeah. have a lot. I'm sorry. Um, I, no, that's I, okay. It's, it's, I, I, I nuts. It's, been a, it's been a fun week of basketball. It was the most enjoyable brand of basketball they have played yeah. since – first two games of the season i i absolutely agree with that there was there was ball movement there was different people making plays it was fun and there were two out of four wins over the last week so we'll take it but we're gonna move on and all of these i think almost all these questions are about the trade which just happened um so the first one from burlicious m is Ariza going to surprise everyone with a mellow-like revival in Portland where he's playing major minutes and can really help us win? Okay, so let's 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 go ahead and tamper this back a little bit. First of all, this isn't to, to poop on Mello. Mello didn't have a revival here. He's doing the same things he did on other teams. He's a defensive negative with a 15-year career of being a good offensive player. So he continues to do good offensive things. I mean, you can call it a revival if you consider the fact that he didn't play last year. Sure. In that, in that regard. Yes. And you Uh, know, Trevor Ariza, I mean, I guess at Sacramento, he, he played in Washington last year. It was a little bit of a off year for him last year. Um, It's been, and and this year hasn't been much for him, but it's been an off year for him for about three years. If you want my unfiltered take on Ariza, the beyond the Rudy Fernandez stuff, the, the folks that I have talked to regarding Ariza since the trade have, you know, in his last three stops, Phoenix, Washington, Sacramento, have all told me the same basic stint, which is he's cashing checks. So I just, take I just that, have such take a hard that, time. I have such a hard time saying that about anybody in the league. I'm sure that there are players who play harder than other players. I just have such a hard time being able to be the one to make that judgment. Listen, this is again, this is, this is what I was told. Mm -hmm. The folks that I talked to in Sacramento could not be happier that he's gone. Hmm. So, and it's not a, it's not a, as a human being thing, I'm, I'm talking purely basketball. Right. Um, He was a net negative for them. And everybody, I saw people talking about, he's a defensive this, he's, you know, it's like he's 34 years old and he hasn't been a plus defender for probably five, six years. Is he a decent defender? Yes. And here's where you can talk about what he could possibly do, right? If we're projecting and everybody was like, oh, you thought Melo was going to be blah, blah, blah. No, I thought Melo was going to stop the living hell out of the offense. And there've been times when he did. Um, has he been better than I thought? Certainly. Um, okay but I'm, yes. Um, yes, there you go. There you go. Uh, um, but the whole idea that Ariza is going to come in and be the guy for next year going forward, that kind of thing. No. Okay. That, that's that, that, 
a real thing. So um, I don't expect there to be any kind of revival or anything like that. But the reality is he's going to be the starting three. And the reason they move for him, I can tell you the one reason almost unequivocally. He's six, eight. Mm-hmm. What don't they have on the roster right now? A six, eight guy who can move and actually who you can trust, who Terry Stotts can trust to make the right play. It may not be executed well. It may not be perfect, but he has the length and athleticism to cover and recover for mistakes or issues on defense. And offensively, he offers you more size and career, what, 35% three-point shooter. Mm -hmm. It's not pretty, but it's also not a train wreck. Mm -hmm. I I guess – Another way to ask, oh my God, we have so many questions. I don't want to get derailed on the first one. But do you think that this is, if you looked at it more like as a replacement for Tolliver rather than replacement for, for Tolliver? Sure, that makes sense. I, I would. They still I would, don't have a three. No, he. I mean, he's a three, but he's a bench three, and he's a yeah. deep bench three. He like he's your. He's your ninth guy. Because I just think about like watching Tolliver move out there, and you know, I mean. I feel like it's at least he's a, a, at least going to be able to give as much as Tolliver. And the question is, is whether people are going to respect him enough to have to go guard him. Yeah. And he's a, he, that, that, I think that's probably the fairer comparison is not Baysmore, but Tolliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would bump him further up the lineup. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would call him like a 13th or 12th guy. I put him, like I said, like ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. He's going to be a starter. Well, he's, <laughs> he's gonna, he is going to get ma- major minutes, like yes. uh, Burlicious uh, M says. <laughs> yeah, and like we'll talk about Whiteside here in a bit. You may get some real biggie minutes. Mm-hmm. Like that's that that's a real situation that that could happen. Okay, I'll stop asking my own questions and get back to uh, our listeners. So Matthew asks, "Is this the trade? Is is this the upgrade at small forward in the team's mind that we've been looking for, or is this just a way to save money and kick the can down the road a bit? And is there any chance Ariza doesn't stay past the deadline?" Uh, okay, so let's take the, the the deadline stuff. Um, he can't be once acquired. He can't be retraded again. Yeah, are you- how come Stauskas got traded a couple times last year? He did because they were he was filed away eventually in the paperwork at the same time. Does that make sense? No. Okay, so he was moved and 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 it basically ended up with him being traded from Portland to Cleveland is where he ended up. And so I they believe shuffled his contracts multiple times. Yes. Like, and then the final paperwork was submitted. And why so, couldn't they do that with Ariza? If, if, if Ariza got through and plays with oh, Portland, okay. then it okay. changes. It's now, and that was because that was because it's a deadline deal. So he could be kind of re- removed because he hasn't made an appearance and all that kind of stuff. Right. And it's super uh, unlikely that they're not going to play him because they need people oh, to play start now. The <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. Between now and what's the 21st is what, Tuesday? They could oh. change things around if they got a third team involved. I don't think they could, or I don't think they would. Um, but they could add, they could make that a part of the deal, and he could end up going somewhere else. Okay, so it's uh, possible. Yes, I, I can't remember the exact CB, CBA ramifications. Once they've traded for him and he's been out there and been active and played, there's a particular hold that keeps him from being traded immediately. I, I have to look at it because I can't remember okay. what that is. Um, 
But I just wanted to address that. that that's, 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 that's the nitty gritty stuff of it. So not uh, necessarily an upgrade in small forward that they've been looking for. You're thinking. No, it's- this, this, is, this is a stopgap personnel wise. And remember Dolce said over and over again that they are not making moves about this year's roster. Uh-huh. He is a not this year's roster that might have an impact on this year's roster, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was, as tweeted out, was to save $12. million in luxury tax. You know, if I was coming in to take over a franchise, uh, if I was Jody Allen, I can I can see where, like, this is the time to shore things up. You Last know, year was fun. Western Conference Finals, adding Ennis Cantor, adding Rodney Hood. Yeah, but when you look at how much money they're making, that you know, as the highest paid team in the league, and you see where they are, and you look at the future, and you go, okay, there's a bunch of guys coming back. It's highly likely they're going to be a much better team next year. Let's take this year to, like, clean up the books and get things in order. You know, still adding, or, you know, still leaving you know, some flexibility, but I could understand why just like as somebody who just inherited the team, who's like, we need to get things in order so that we can move forward. Yes. And this is why I said the other day, we don't know what Jody Allen's motivations are. Like, so it's hard to truly, before this trade went down, it's hard to understand what her goals are mm-hmm. or what she's trying to achieve uh, six months from now, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. We don't know. With Paul Allen, we we got a pretty damn good read on things. It was, we had 20 years worth of experience, right? Like, we, we, we knew what PA was likely going to do in certain situations. Jody's on the team for a year. Like, we just, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just so, because, like, She's his sister doesn't mean that she's going to have the exact same the same proclivities. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move on. This one comes from Emily Carr. Um, Would love to know more backstory on Gabriel. Mr. Wenyon. Okay, so some some good news out of this trade. Everybody I talked to in Sacramento said as far as a human being goes, Wenyon Gabriel was like one of their favorite people. Mm hmm. Everybody I talked to had nothing but glowing things to say about him. Awesome story. One of the hardest working dudes you've ever seen. Incredibly likable. Um, as far as impact, I think Portland just had to do it basically for salary cap reasons to make it fit. And I think honestly that was kind of the issue with Swan again, but they also needed a big body. Um, profile on on, on Wenyan, he's a uh, young man. I think he's 23 now, but originally from Sudan. Uh, went to one of the preparatory schools and went to Kentucky and coming out of high school, he was a top 10 prospect in 2015, 2016. Um, went to Kentucky. He's in still incredibly raw, um, a little undersized strength wise, but um, incredibly athletic, bouncy. And again, one of the hardest workers you've ever heard of or seen in your entire life. Like every scout that's ever covered him, it just says – you know, ha- that lacks X, Y, or Z makes up for it with incredible motor. Mm-hmm. Like he, the kid just goes. Everything that I read about him um, indicates that as well. That, that was definitely a common theme throughout everything everybody said about him. And kind of one of the indicators of that is that he started off, he was undrafted. After two years at mm-hmm. Kentucky, he was undrafted. And then he got a two-way contract, which then got converted. converted. Right. So Sacramento 
you know, liked enough to go ahead and commit fully to having him be on the roster. So, you know, he definitely worked his way into that. He spent a fair amount of time still at the G League. Like, and actually, looks like he and Swanigan actually kind of would get sent down there together. So it sounds like they've spent some time down there together. But I don't know if you saw it, but I discovered in my searching yesterday. Uh, one of the they he played for they played for the Stockton Kings and in one of the Stockton mm-hmm. Kings games, uh, they wore uniforms that were covered in graphics of pizza, and it was the most spectacular thing you've ever seen. I have not seen this. Oh my god! You have to go read my column, Mom's favorite. They yeah they one of their tops and bottoms covered in pepperoni pizza slices it's amazing i'm gonna have to check that out so good so yeah but um i'm i'm getting i'm looking forward to uh getting to know him he uh seems he seems like he's going to be one of those guys that everyone's going to be loving and cheering for to get him in the game and give him some minutes yeah exactly (laughs) that's kind of where the team is this year too the more i talk to guys about him the more I, the more I was like, Portland fans are gonna love this kid. Oh yeah, like he may not, he may not have any real impact in the long term or in the short term. I mean, but as far as like Jalen Horde and exactly, know. and yeah. which, but take thirty seconds to talk about Jalen. Jalen has shown enough over the last couple games to show why Portland offered him a two way deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredibly active, again, big time motor, good timing on rebounds. I saw him playing some pick and roll coverage defensively. Better than I see most kids his age play it. And I, I, I'm not saying he's going to turn into a whole lot going forward, but I can you can see pretty easily why Portland's excited about him and why they took a chance on him. Mm-hmm. He's part of what I call the pink shoe shift because there's those three guys who wear pink shoes. And yep. anytime the pink shoe shift comes in, it's – I love that. I love – you know, when Damien's out there with – three rookies i'm like okay this is what i signed up for this year this is what i've adjusted to and i'm like totally yeah. fine with it yeah no i get it i i 100 get it uh i i still uh i still i hold it against simons that he's a he's a big uh supporter of wearing kobe's but when he throws the, the pink ones on i believe those are kds and i find those find those less offensive they're the pearl uh mama mother pearl or something like yeah. that Okay, Steve DeWald, our friend Steve, has a question. Following the trade, do you feel like it is more or less likely that another move featuring Whiteside takes place before the deadline? My gut, and I'm just going to say this and I'll (laughs) let you talk, my gut is no. My Uh, gut is that Whiteside is with the team. And I know you, I I think that you're probably not going to, wouldn't like that very much, but that's just what my gut is saying, which is often wrong. Go ahead. um, It doesn't make them any more likely or unlikely to move Whiteside. The depends on what's out there, right? Yes. Here's the thing. The likelihood still rests very heavily in. They are trying to move Hassan Whiteside. Do not mix my words. And then I'll take it with you. Anybody listening? I am, I am not trying to put any hidden signals or anything in this. The Blazers are 100% trying to move Hassan Whiteside. They are not trying to maintain him going forward past the trade deadline. That is their goal right now. They are geared towards making that happen. And here's hoping that they make something of consequence happen because if they don't, they are out of ammunition. But just because that's what they're trying to do 
like we said, things are hard. Oh. That doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen. So, but the one they thing have a difficult I, decision coming up, basically, because if the Baysmore deal is any indicator, the value of expiring contracts is not that which we, we thought. But between now and the trade deadline, it only takes one owner looking at a luxury tax bill going, you know what? I'm good. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're hoping for is that one owner, that one GM who is a hundred percent in favor of, yeah, no, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta bail out. And then you can, you can scoop a player up. And to just kind of clarify your thoughts on this, this has nothing whatsoever to do with Yusuf Nurkic's readiness, no. availability, how he does once he comes back. They've rolled Anthony Tolliver out to start at center before. Yeah, but now they don't even have Anthony Tolliver. No, but they got Caleb Swanigan, who's actually a center. Okay. So, interesting. Like, and that, that was what I was kind of hinting at before. Like, okay. There's a gap between the trade deadline and the all-star break coming back. Um, there's a handful of games between February 6th and what, February 13th? Mm-hmm. Or there, gonna need to be <laughs> someone's going to need to play center. Yeah. Guess what? Caleb Swanigan knows the Blazers defense. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. so uh, maybe we they saw, even wanted him to come back. I, I, I'm thinking as far as the salary cap fillers, he probably makes sense. Because at least in a sense, even if he's not perfectly capable, he understands what they want to do, right? Yes, yes, I get that. I would just, while you were talking, I just realized that uh, the trade deadline is around the next time they're supposed to be getting an update on Scal, too. Isn't Correct. It? So but again, that's, that's just an update. Yeah. You never know. Okay. Um, next question comes from Mike who says, how do you grade this trade? Incomplete. Yeah, I would, I I took the question super literally. And when he says, how do you grade this trade? I said, you, by deciding what you want to grade it on. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you want to grade it on, was this an economic um, you know, did this make economic sense? I think, yeah, they did a good job. They were able, I mean, $12.6 million, I think is what they're going to be saving in the tax, uh, which is not insignificant at all. Um, you know, I think that in a lot of things that was a good way, but you know, if you're trying to get the team better, probably not going to make the team better, trying to make the team worse, probably not really going to make it worse. So I think it just depends on what you're grading and on. And- that, that's why I give it an incomplete because again, it kind of depends on how you're defining it. I'm not trying to make an excuse for it. I'll, I'll be, I'll be frankly honest. When the deal was first announced, I was pissed. Mm-hmm. Like ju- just genuinely, I was angry beyond disbelief uh, because you we've heard. Elaborate on that? Well, yeah, we've heard so much about how the expiring deals were the key to netting Portland, the next piece going forward. And now one of those two pieces is gone and the return was not great as far as team building purposes go. Um, so, but like I said, I took a step back from it and I was like, okay, not great right now. Definitely not third with the turn, but there's still time between now and the trade deadline to make something happen, to redeem this to the point where 
again, in the context of this season, it does not matter. Mm-hmm. But going forward. And so it's like, okay, if they get somebody of consequence with the white side deal that doesn't cost them an arm and a leg and assets and makes sense for the team going forward, okay, cool. How much do does it bother you that they had to include two second round picks? Does that bug you? It it does, but I think that was the least of my worries. Mm-hmm. It bugs me in the sense that for my criticisms of Olshay, the one thing that you can really count on this organization to do is to hit freaking home runs with second round picks. Mm-hmm. And they've just been so damn good at it. Like, so it, it kind of sucks to see them take that ammunition out of their belts. But at the same time, I could easily see Portland being willing to or being able to make other moves to get some second round picks. Right. Back and they've also been able to pick them up. So, yes. So that's that, not that, the that's, hardest thing in the world. No. It's, like, it's not at all like losing your first round pick, I guess, especially no. in the position that they're in right now. I think those two seconds were the cost of doing business mm-hmm. for finding a landing spot for the expiring money. Because there is roughly like what six six point one million dollar difference between everything that, that changed hands, so uh, okay, you ready to move yeah. on? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Tom Krieg, will Swanigan see meaningful minutes right away? You kind of answered that a little bit. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there's a good chance. Like, I'll, I'll say this: Portland is targeting a, a forward for the white side deal. They are not targeting a big. Right. The, well, the, I the mean, the goal is to get a. They don't have a starting small forward next season. Mm-hmm. And Tolliver's like, gone, so someone's got to play backup center. And like you said, yeah. Swanigan's the center. Yes, exactly. And who knows? Maybe Scal does come back healthy on time. Oh, please. I, 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 I'm not counting on it, um, but maybe he does. Um, but also, when you come back from the deadline, or from about for the All-Star break, Nurkic is very likely to be back. Mm-hmm. And I expect him to play 15 to 18 minutes when he comes back. Mm-hmm. And so you still got to be his backup. Someone's still got to play a chunk of minutes. And again, like if you were looking for a signal flare for the Portland Trailblazers to not say it, but say that this season doesn't really matter. I would say the trade that just took place is a pretty good place to start. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not saying it, but I'm saying it. Right. No, I mean, that's that's what it felt like to me. That it's like, oh, okay, this season, like I said, is about gearing up for next season. Right. And and fixing the books. Like, yes. Saying, we get, ha- you, we get got your house to, right. We got, yeah, get your house in order. I, when you were talking about uh, Yusuf Nurkic coming back, did you mean 15 minute shifts or 15 minutes? Uh, to well, begin with, I, I would I would expect, and this this isn't the inside knowledge or anything like that. This is just my gut belief, and and dealing with an injury similar to this, I would believe that he would come back, and his first stint would probably be fifteen to eighteen minutes a night for the first week, and then they evaluate how's he doing, how's he feeling, how's the body, how are the imbalances, how strong is the leg feeling, then they go from there. Does it go up? Does it stay the same? Does it go down? You know, um, and Imagine- then. What- a 25 to 27 a night imagine a year ago uh predicting that we would be talking about 30 minutes a night of caleb swanigan and 18 minutes a night of yusuf nurgic and 35 minutes a night of trevor Ariza. yeah okay <laughs> yeah. wow it's wow weird, weird year this is one of those ones world in 20 years you're gonna be like hey remember the 2019 and you're like nope <laughs> uh 
I don't know. I think I think it's all it's all it's all entertaining. We do not recognize that season. Leighton Porter wants to know. I can easily see how Ariza could be an upgrade over Bays, but what about AT? AT makes very few mistakes and has been solid on D. As silly as it sounds, who's going to fill his shoes adequately? Nobody. I would no. I would add who's going to fill his socks because one of my favorite things about Tolliver was his tall the socks. The knee highs. Yeah. Listen, there's so few guys who rock the knee highs anymore. I, just, do. I miss him so much. I already miss him so much. <laughs> I, I, listen, I, I love yeah. the knee highs. And, and we talked about it a little bit with Tolliver getting so much crap this season. But he's one of the smartest players I've, I've seen. Mm-hmm. Very, very heady. Understands the game incredibly. You Listen, when you don't have elite, elite, elite skill sets, you don't hang around in the league as long as he have with so many different teams if you aren't incredibly smart. You know so, – it's not surprising that he, you know, was able to do that, right? Right. Well, so I was talking to my friend Tina about the Knicks, but right before we played the Knicks, and she came on and talked about the difference between their previous coach and their current coach. And one of the things that she was saying about Mike Miller, not that Mike Miller, was yes. that uh, – <laughs> The, one of the things that she thinks is working out well for the Knicks right now is that he came from the G League. And this is also something like from Nick Nurse, where mm-hmm. they came from a developing player background and they're yes. used to like not knowing who's going to be on the roster. Like, oh, here's this guy. Now you got to work him in. He's only going to be here for a week. And they're used to all of that. And kind of the, I guess, sort of the corollary to that would be players who are journeymen who go from Mm -hmm. place to place and they fill the role and they play smart and they know how the game works. You know, maybe Trevor Ariza ends up like that. One of the things, though, that I thought was interesting about Trevor Ariza that I don't really know if there's many players like this, that he's had two teams where he had two kind of significant stints. I mean, he had two shifts with Washington as well as two shifts with Houston. Um, and I can't think of anybody who's gone really back to two places and not just like – I mean, I guess he was only back in Washington for about half a year. But um, What about a team bringing back a, a single player three times? Three times. That's a different story. Shout out Steve Blake. Yes. Oh, Steve Blake. Who's he, <laughs> who's he coaching with now? Phoenix. Yeah, uh, that's right. Monty picked him up when the Suns came to town. It was, uh, it was fun to see Steve kind of walking around. Good for him. Being in the old haunt. <laughs> okay, so I think we answered Layton's question um, about we've been ta- how we've been talking about Anthony Tolliver and that, um, yeah, it's going to be hard to fill his <laughs> shoes or socks. But like, like everything else, like outside of Dame and CJ, like filling the shoes of any of these other guys, it's like, eh. It's piecemeal, and none of the, nobody can replace what you're hoping to get out of st- starter replacement level players. Like none of these guys are starting caliber replacement level players, and so you're just hoping to to you know get your min maxes out of them. Right. We're still looking at bench players who are going to be starting. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to this is from Chris, and okay, I think this is somewhat of a joke, so don't get mad, but it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> And not uh, ask Danny Meringue, what blazer will he jinx and cause to have an injury next? Followed by what is the main color on the blazer's tank that he prefers? Listen, I like my tanks to be. Uh, You're camel- no longer allowed to tweet about blazers. Yeah, I know. Listen, folks, I didn't mean to. Like, I, I, I genuinely look Joe because he's the one who 
typically jinxes the team. I really feel like they're going to win this game. And then inevitably the opponent will go on a 15 2 run. I think he's done that about a half dozen times this year. Um, it's amazing how much power we wield, right? Yeah. <laughs> if only we were that powerful. Yeah, I know. It was That's just, what I always tell myself, it was if just only. Horrible, horrible timing. And it was just like, but it was, it was funny was like, I thought about it. I, how often does CJ really, really go deep in the paint like that when it's congested? And I think the answer is not very often because of exactly the reason that we saw there. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, cause he's had so many foot issues because he's had so many things happen early in his career. I think he changed his game and developed it to where he doesn't necessarily want to venture in there. And he's so right. good at other things. He doesn't necessarily have to, right. he has plenty of other things that he can do. Yeah. And, and that's why his free throw rate will never, ever really get much higher. Like that's the trade off. Right. But what color do you think- want on your tank? Uh, like I said, I, I like my tanks to be uh, camouflage to their environment. So if we're if we're talking like Northwest, a very a very pale gray. Gray, blue, <laughs> blue hints, you know, definitely some urban camouflage. But you know, if we're talking about like a tropical tank, you know, we gotta we gotta go more desert, right? So yeah, you just I, gotta. I, I like it to blend in. The, my fa- my favorite tank gift, though, I think is the the tank. The I think it's a T ninety two in Russia. It's the the gif is a tank sliding around the corner on the snowy banks. That's that, that one's, that one's high class. Whoever that driving that tank, well done. Yeah. I feel like there aren't a lot of tanks in, uh, in, in gif, in gif form. And, um, yeah, maybe, maybe so. Because I mean, I mean, of all the years to tank, like I just, this, it just doesn't seem like, I feel I feel like the Blazers wouldn't outright tank. I feel like they might be oh, like, okay, happening. we're not trying, we're like not going for like a deep playoff run anymore. But we're we're not tanking, and and this year is just like, who's there to tank for anyway? Uh, the but, way I look at that is like, if Portland happened to stumble into a guy like Obi Toppin, um, that would be fantastic. Um, but the 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 thing about like tanking and, and taking guys in a, a higher draft lottery position, you have to have the opportunity first. And I heard somebody say the other day, it's like, you know, who are the guys that have really been taking, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh overall over the last five, six years? And I'm like, I don't know, Deer and Fox? Yeah, there's plenty, it feels like. like. <laughs> Luka Doncic was, you know, a fourth overall. Like, you just go through and it's like, guys, this this isn't hard. Damian Lillard was not a top three pick. Like, mm-hmm. Stop saying that because for every you know, every uh, year there's Thomas a Robinson. There's a, there's other guys in that other ranges that are very very good, very solid players. But if you don't put yourself in a position to make those picks, well then you can't screw them up or succeed with them. <laughs> okay, next question. This is from Paul Swordstrom. Okay. What kind of a player is Gabriel? Portland probably has an idea what we're getting with the Riza and Swanigan, but he's more of an unknown here. I think we kind of talked about him. Yeah, we kind of said that he's he's a high energy guy mm-hmm. who um it's not like a well defined skill set. Love him, he works hard. Yeah. We'll we'll and, see and who listen, he turns into. Yeah, well I hope he, he figures something out and finds a the niche, finds a role, but otherwise heck, it's I, I don't think he's destined for long long time here in portland mm-hmm. but you know what he's he worked his way uh up in in yeah, no, uh, sacramento and, I, I, and I, I, he's gonna to have see- probably a little bit more opportunity to play i mean that the thing is is even like we've already seen that even with a very skeletal crew 
Stotts is still reluctant to play his young players. Like, he plays them because he doesn't have much of a choice. But, <laughs> like, I would have thought we would have gotten a lot more Naz Little by now. But there's been games where he barely played at all. And I would have thought at this point, just run him out so that you can rest those other guys. And for whatever reason, Stotts still seems reluctant. Still trying to win games, Tara. They're still trying, They're still to, trying win. to win games. And I think also some of it has to do with like what you said before about like not wanting to put them into positions where they're going to get overwhelmed and struggle too early. Mm-hmm. Like even with Anthony, I mean, Anthony yeah. right now is getting about, tw- he's averaging like 22 minutes. And he I could would, easily be getting He could 30 easily right be now. doing 30, yeah. um, but he's not. So nope. I just think that's how that's how development runs and uh, and they probably have like a uh a, a continuum within which they're willing to be flexible with the young guys unless it's damian lillard um mm-hmm. but they got to be damian lillard for really to flex it much outside of that window and anthony simons as talented as he seems to be does not seem to be that he's not at that level yet no, not quite yet. And he's showing more and more flashes uh, of certain abilities, finishing around the rim, uh, working more off the pick and roll. I swear to God, Tara, I'm getting really tired of these foul calls against the kid, though. I, I, I genuinely am. The, the, I, I asked everybody in the studio the other night, um, like, am I crazy? Like, or is this kid getting pretty screwed over? And the, the, the overall consensus was, yeah, he's he's getting hit with some pretty gnarly. The, the OKC game the other night. The back-to-back fouls he picked up on Shea. It's like, can we just let the kid develop? Like, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. Let him play. I don't know. That's that's my own little thing. And I want want to say real quick about the OKC game. Shout out Gary Trent Jr. Yeah. So from going from his deathbed to to playing as well as he did um, on his 21st birthday, like. I'm not, I'm not expecting that long term, but I think that gives you a flash of his shooting ability and capability as a as a basketball player and why he likely will end up having a pretty long career in the NBA because he does have a skill set um, that is very conducive to uh, the, the style that um, – Teams are currently playing this, you know, in the NBA. Well, and he played good defense for three quarters. Yeah, no, he he. And that was the big question coming out of college: um, was would his lateral quickness allow him to stay with guys? But I think he's found ways to be heady, to stay up on film, and maybe yeah. just a natural instinct as far as like how to cut guys off and how to not use his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, he got and, well, and, and he's playing and out of position. He's using his hands though because he's getting steals. He had like yeah, three steals he, in that game. He ripped guys from behind a couple of times. He's he's there's certainly a move that either he has naturally that he's worked on or he's got guys timing down very well. There's only a few guys in the league who know how to do that, who know how to let a guy get by him just that little bit and get that rip from behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example of a type that skill set like that is uh, Dame. When guys try to post him up and he gets that little slap down. Mm-hmm. And he and he knocks the ball away and, and either gets a, a clean steal or gets the knock away and it goes up guys guys up he, he gets a foul called him every now and then but he does get quite a like if if you had to quantify I bet you Dame steals I bet you he gets his largest percentage from that type of play hmm. I just I sat at summer league and watched Gary Trent Jr. just go off for a couple of games and it was just like oh the kid shoot he yeah. <laughs> He, I think he scored 31 points in a summer league game, which is like significantly shorter than a, a regular season game. And that was 
that was cool. But yeah, I I thought he played he was fun to watch. And like I was watching him because now the Blazers are doing this thing where they're switching and then they're even going so far sometimes to play a little bit of zone. And like you can see his brain just like turning over when that's happening. And like I could see there were times where he was like I could see him thinking basically out loud on his face, like, do I go for that guy or do I go for that guy? And then making a choice that ended up being the right choice. So mm-hmm. that's what I, I mean. I think about wow, how this week things look like they're maybe coming easier or falling more into place for at least some of these younger guys, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're up at an hour and we've got about three more questions left. Oh, Lord. I know. So we're going to go fast. Okay. This is from Kevin Rapid Parks. Fire. Is Caleb now a Portland local OG? Who Will we buy out Ariza and who is Gabriel? We've already touched on the Gabriel thing. I don't think Portland buys out Ariza. It doesn't make any sense. Um, as Eric Griffith wrote a uh, really in-depth article about all the different machinations of what Ariza's contract can and can't do uh, during draft day and heading into next season, um, the, the, it would make almost no sense at all because it is still a viable trade asset to uh, to be moved uh, at, at draft day or going into next season. Um, so, so even if they decide not to keep him around, you think they might go ahead and guarantee, fully guarantee it so it's worth more in a trade? Uh, I, I, there's a couple different things about it, but yeah, I, I think they're, they'll look at all the different, uh, avenues for what his salary could or can't be used for kind of going forward, which I mean, they should do that. That's the prudency that they need to operate with. Is Caleb now a Portland local? I think he spent a bunch of time in Portland in the summer. Yeah. I remember somebody saying they ran into him here last summer. Well, and he, has been uh, tweeting and posting his music and it just looks like a, it looks like at least some of it um, has been has been here in Portland. So we shall see. Um, next question from Lucas Lucas Sturdy. Is this a sign of giving up on the season? Do they know more about CJ's injury than they are letting on? Is it possible there are more moves on the horizon that they could still possibly p- pivot to depending on what is happening? Well, I already said about the, the whole signal flare. Like, mm-hmm. I think it is kind of what it is at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's what... always a possibility that. Of what? Could, could be... I mean, there's always a possibility that somebody might become available that wasn't available. That... Sure. Certainly. I, I think you, you can, you want to operate like, you know, what, what could possibly happen best case scenario for the organization. So you're ready to pounce on it when it does, but to believe in that or to trust in that, I think is a, is a bit foolish. You have that be your plan. Yeah, exactly. So the Blazers are eight games under 500 right now. And outside of the Warriors, I don't think they have a technically winnable game, you know, Vegas based after that for the rest of the month. Mm -hmm. And I think there's maybe one other game between now and the all-star break. They're eight games under 500 right now, and there's a good likelihood that they end up 12 to 15 games under 500 by the time the All-Star break rolls around. That's that's pretty hard to recover from. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, Tara, but the Blazers don't have uh, a fully healthy superstar level first round number one overall pick coming back into their organization like the Pelicans do in Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. They do get Nurk coming back. But they're not getting fully healthy Nurk. Right. And it's good. Listen, when they get Nurk back, there is going to be an uptick. I can't wait to be in the arena for that game because the place is going to be nuts. I just can't wait to see, like, the feel. Like, 
like Damien, like what a like to be able to play with him again, yeah, like what yeah, that was yes. like the joy on his face that's gonna one of like, favorite things <sighs> is little armed to his side trot jump shuffle thing that he does where you can tell he's just being antagonistic as hell to somebody and he kind of struts around and kind of hops up and down as he does it. <laughs> and like, that's the one thing that I'm really looking forward to, like of the little things, but here's the thing, like they're what a game, two games up on the Pelicans. There are a game, two games up on the Timberwolves. Pelicans are getting Zion back. The Timberwolves are getting cat back. The Grizzlies are playing like a absolute multi now. Like, this is what I was trying to tell people when I said John Morant is going to be an absolute stud and is going to be your rookie of the year. Like the, the kid is a superstar in the making. The Spurs are figuring stuff out. Apparently, the Marcus Aldridge can hit threes. Uh, the Suns are well. I, I, I don't know. Uh, OKC, there's still five games above 500, and now they may make some moves. They may get rid of some pieces that causes them to fall back. But when you're looking at the standings. What places do you really see Portland like really getting going? It's going to take a pretty miraculous step. And sure, could that step happen and like like projects Portland into the playoffs as the eight seed? Sure, sure, that that could happen. It it is a possibility. I would just say that at this point in time, it is highly unlikely. Okay, uh, Lucas Sturdy had a follow up question: Has Swanigan gotten in shape? Lost weight? I did some searching around. He looks like he is in uh, good shape. I, I mean, he looks physically like he's in good shape. I haven't seen him running around because he hasn't played very much. So, yeah. like, physically he might look thinner than he was, but I don't know, like, what his endurance is right now. So, everybody kind of remembers the last game of the regular season last year where right. – He didn't look good. Very he, good. He, it looked like a lot of the work that maybe he had put in in Portland had maybe gone sideways. Mm-hmm. But um, over the summer, he got in really good yes, shape. He's cut he got right in, now. Yes, he got in better shape. So whatever may or may not have transpired, I think he's gotten past that. Um, Biggie's been open about his weight issues throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think that's ever something you hundred percent ever get over uh, with with situations like that. So it's just something I think he just needs to monitor. But I think right now, I think he's in a good place. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I I'm anxious to see how it turns out because he's been open about a lot of stuff, and mm-hmm. um, I think I think uh, being back in Portland will be good for him. I got to think yeah, that the, the organization the will be good for him. Yes, that the, they got him and helped him stay in fantastic shape. I mean, the the difference between him in Portland versus when he got in Sacramento, what four months later. Mm-hmm. Pretty night and day difference. Yeah, but then again, he was able to get himself back in shape again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's some, uh, I guess, growing up there. Chris Stone, at what point do you think the organization considers sitting Dame and CJ this year? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Dame is – I think, you know, if uh, – Dame and a, CJ won't uh, let that happen. I mean, maybe uh, they'll get taken extra you, game here or there. You got but... an elephant tranquilizer and a chain? Yeah. <laughs> or just like lock him out. Yeah, like you're not. Your card doesn't work. Sorry, yeah. you can't get in the building. You're not getting him. Yeah, there's no much way. As I, I want to. Yeah, but but there's just no way. That's just that's gotta, just you fry his corpse off the floor. Right. The man played with his death cold and played back to back forty minute performances. Okay, mm-hmm. in a season that is, I think most people would call lost. So like, I think I should probably tell you everything you know about that. Right. Okay, two more. Uh, what? Uh, this is from Boyd Urban. What happens if there's no deal for Whiteside? How does this team reload for next year? They don't. Like that, that, that's like my biggest fear. 
because they just because they don't have room to add a, a big player. I mean, they do get a bunch of players back next year. They have nine players under contract next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of them have options, and that's Rodney Hood and Mario Hozonia. The rest of the guys are Dame, CJ, Nurkic. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hozonia, Hood. Um, who am I forgetting? Oh, the rookies: Gary Trent Jr., Anthony Simon, Zach Collins. Mm-hmm. That's that's not a roster. That's. Yeah. And you're going to have $14 million to play with to fill out the rest of the roster. Yeah. Well, they'll, they have to figure out a way it can be done. They have to do it. So, oh, sure. Sure. It's physically possible, but it's a yeah. roster that of consequence means nothing. It's, right. it's unlikely to be anything more than a, than a, than a seven or eight seed. I think I added up all of the, uh, the expiring or like, uh, non guaranteed. And it was like 34 million, including all of, of books of, that would come off the books next year. But then it includes guys that they may want to resign. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the um, thing is and that, okay. the, it's not pretty. You you don't want to see that because you're really only team building moves going forward after that are trading Anthony Simon, Zach Cole and CJ McCollum. Like that's, those are, those are your, those are your next steps. Okay. Last question on an optimistic or delusional. Oh, this is from CJ Anderson on an optimistic or delusional front. What is the minimum bar this team would need to reach for Terry Stotts to contend or win coach of the year? Um, they would li- quite literally have to win every game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there's some other really good candidates this year and I would just like everybody to just like turn their eyes away from Portland for the rest of the season. Yeah. Pretend like any attention to them. The rest of the season. Seriously. Like, like, um, like just everybody look away and pay attention to everybody else. Let, let us get, like we said, our house in order. Let them finish, figure everything out. Let Stotts figure everything out and just look back next year. Honestly, your your coach of the year is probably going to come. From, I think it's going to come from the East. I think it's going to either be Budenholzer um, with with that squad. I think if it does come from the West, I think it would probably be um, Carlisle with what he's done with Dallas. Nobody had Dallas penciled in as a playoff yeah, team. Yeah, I thought about, I thought about. I, I mean, I was the Grizzlies. If they, if they if they no doubt make the playoffs, like there's like a five six game gap between eight and nine. Mm-hmm. I, I could see see some serious arguments being made. I mean, made he's for gotten it. a lot out of that. I mean, obviously, John Morant is like you know, out of this world. Brandon Clark's a stud. Jaron um, Jackson Jr. But like he's they, able. He's been able very quickly to figure out how to uh, put them in the best place that they possibly can to succeed. And that's that's impressive. That's a big for, deal. That's for, a big deal. And the other person, as much as I hate to say this, like Frank Vogel's got something going on down there. I, they, they do. I hate to say that. We were all joking around at the beginning of the season about how he was going to be gone and Jason Kidd was going to take his job. Yeah. That's not what's happening. He's done a very good job of controlling the narrative by just winning games. It's amazing how that happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just, I mean, it, it can't be, it can't be easy. That's quite a, quite a collection of guys down there. Um, but yeah, no, I like I like Taylor Jenkins, but I also um like who who else did you say? Oh, Carlisle, yeah. I mean, Dallas is a, is a, I think is a really good one um, because they're not they're not just on the edge; they're a legitimate. Like, God, would you want to play Luka a healthy? Is fun to watch. Really like, is. I usually when I watch other teams that have a really good player, I like get super jealous and just petty and mad. I can't even get like that about Luca. No, no Luca's incredibly durable. Like, yeah. uh, I, I feel the same way with Jaw. 
Like those are probably my three yeah. favorite young guys to watch in the league right now are Luca, John, Donovan Mitchell. Mm. Like they just over Anthony. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I'm talking non-Blazers. Non-Blazers. Okay. Oh, yeah, well, trust me, when Anthony gets on the court, I, I'm focused on l- yeah. quite literally nothing else. You're just like a proud papa, which is why it's so uh, funny. Yeah. Every time you get so mad, every like, I'm just fa- I just, just fast forwarding to you like 13 years from now. Like, like if you have somebody playing, if you have a kid who plays basketball and just you just being absolutely furious every time a call gets, goes against them. Oh, like, God. Yeah. No, I'm the, it's yeah. going to be a nightmare. That's going to be a whole other thing. all right well dan we have covered a lot thank you to all of our listeners i um maybe a couple more may have come in since we started um if we didn't get to yours uh we were sorry but thank you so much and hopefully what folks wrote in covered uh most of the questions that people had um never a dull moment we i thought there maybe we were gonna have a dull moment but things changed real quick and um we got plenty to talk about Let's see. I'll go. I'll say what I am up to. You can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can follow the Blazers Edge podcast at um, Blazers Edge, and you can subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts. If you subscribe to the Blazers Edge podcast, you will get the weekly podcast. You will get the Women's Hoops and Talks, which comes out once a week. And I'm also do occasionally do a preview. Although the last like several previews I did, the Blazers immediately lost the game, so I was like. Mm. Like I said, like we said earlier, like we I, I, causation I'm correlation not that important, but still it makes me a little nervous. So sometimes it uh, feels like it. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that does it for me. Why don't you go ahead and uh, tell people where they can find you and take us out of here? All right, folks, as always, you can find me on social media at Danny Morang at D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G and following every game with Joe Simons and I on NBC Sports Northwest, whether it's a national broadcast or an NBC broadcast, flip it over to NBC and we will be there to give you breakdowns of the game. And as you've noticed, probably for the last couple months now, or at least month for sure, that we have got our link set up to where we're getting all the postgame sound. So uh, that's very cool. And obviously with our our, our good friends and colleagues, uh, Dwight James and Jamie Hudson on the road, like when we get some semi-breaking news that, you know, Gary Trent Jr. is uh, cut of fire rescue team treating him in the locker room we can set up a uh, direct camera link and kind of get updates on those situations so um we're trying to add more and more coverage to the to the team and as we go forward through the season hopefully it's more stuff you can count on going forward not the fire and rescue but uh, more coverage <laughs> you know let's, let's not have that anymore uh but other than that folks thanks for listening for tara i'm danny uh we'll catch you next week Bye bye